Welcome to Philosophy for Theologians, your regular look at philosophy from a Reformed perspective. My name is Camden Busey, and we are broadcasting live on ReformedForum.tv after much effort trying to get it to work, and it's not exactly working entirely the way we want it to, but we are live with video and audio, and we're live with a great group of characters here. I have to my left, we have Nathan Shannon, who is a PhD student at uh, the Free University of Amsterdam. Welcome, Nate. Thank you, Camden. We also have Jared Oliphant, who is the Director of Admissions at Westminster Theological Seminary. Hello, Jared. Hello. <laughs> and we're very pleased to welcome to the program uh, a guest that we had on Christ the Center recently. We are well, pleased to welcome back Gabe Fleur, who is previously Assistant uh, Pastor of uh, Family and uh, Youth Ministries at Second Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. He's also now an entering Ph.D. student at Westminster Theological Seminary. Welcome back. To the studio, Gabe. It's great to have you. Hi. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> yeah. The we'll soft have to put that into high. our bag we of had that before. And uh, we're also very pleased to welcome uh, his new friend, uh, but good friend, another incoming PhD student, Carlton Wynn. He's going to be studying systematic theology. Thanks for joining us, Carlton. It's great Thank to have you. you. We're very excited today to be speaking about a number of things. We're going to be talking uh, in a general about Ph.D. studies. But we're going to try to keep it to the subject of philosophy, as we do on Philosophy for Theologians, discussing Ph.D. studies after seminary, but Ph.D. studies in general. So I'll kick this over to Jared, who has uh, brought this uh, discussion up, and uh, we'll get things started as we uh, open up our topic. Yeah, I wanted to open up and just really get a little bit of a background with you guys and— um you know, ask you, you all went to uh, different seminaries, which I think is very interesting. Um, and maybe just could start with uh, you, Carlton, in explaining, um, I guess, what drew you to seminary in the first place? What was your experience like? Um, you know, where you went, all those kinds of things. Um, and, and when you graduated, I forget how long ago it was that you were there. Sure. Uh, I went to RTS Charlotte and was drawn there, particularly after a two-year internship with Reformed University Fellowship. Cool. which is the college arm of the PCA. And I uh, was serving under a, a man there who's my great friend and mentor, a guy named David Ray. And, yeah. Uh, he ended up planting a church while I was in seminary, and I recently went back and served with him for three years before coming here. But I graduated from RTS Charlotte in 07, had a great experience, uh, nothing like the boot camp that, uh, that Gabriel went to. Um, <laughs> But it was a fantastic school, still is. It's growing and uh, just wonderful faculty. Got to know a number of the faculty before I went, which was a huge pull I bet. Uh, for me. Yeah, okay. Well, and, and speaking of Gabe, you had uh, somewhat of a different experience. Um, you were kind of in the, in the same neighborhood. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what drew you into seminary life in the first place and, um, yeah, your experience there. Um, well, I, you know, I'm an adult convert. I came to the Lord. Um, he brought me to himself make sure I'm very reformed about that. Um, as I graduated from uh, college in 2002 with a philosophy degree from the University of South Carolina, and then um, about a year after that, uh, the Lord had been working in my heart for, I think, probably about 18 months before, brought me to himself, and um, uh, and about two years after that, I started, in, actually about a year and a half after that, um, 
started in seminary at Greenville. I started, uh, took a class at RTS Charlotte, loved it uh, with uh, Dr. Belcher, but the uh, commute thing was going to be a problem for me, and I began an internship at Second Presbyterian Church in Greenville, and then um, began my studies in earnest at Greenville Seminary in 2004, graduated in 2008, and went on staff as an ordained man um, at Second Church, and served there for two years as the assistant minister of families and youth. So... That's uh, I was drawn to seminary, uh, especially Greenville. I was very um, thankful for the confessional, um, the strong confessional stand the Greenville Seminary had, and uh, the tools to be a pastor are just amazingly given there. So oh, yeah. it, was a, it was a great blessing to be at that place. Okay, good. And then, uh, Nate, we'll finish up with you. What drew you to seminary in the first place? And, um, yeah, what was your experience like? Yeah, well, I did my undergrad was in uh, music, and I even wow. did some graduate studies in music performance. Um, I still own a cello, but I don't touch it very often. <laughs> um, and I ended up at Westminster almost by accident. Um, I mean, I knew nothing about it. And I'm not sure I had read a page of Calvin before I got here. Uh-huh. Um, I'm almost afraid to admit that. <laughs> um, and, um, I, I, you know, I'd love to share the whole story. It's just amazing how we ended up, you know, my wife and I ended up here um, and I ended up at Westminster. I didn't know PCA from, you know, PGA. I didn't. Even, yeah, right from the PGA. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, when I got here, PCA, you, you know, any of those things, I didn't know any of that stuff. I was sort of on a um, extended hiatus from church life, um, and uh, maybe since college. And I can say I ended up at seminary not with a career path in mind, but with. Um, at best, some serious theological questions that I wanted to answer, and with nothing better to do with my life, because I had left music and was, and I went through half a dozen different, um, you know, possible career paths before I decided, well, I better do something in the meantime, <laughs> and started to think about taking some theology classes. And we were living in Texas at the time, and I knew I wanted to come back north, and ended up at Westminster, and um, quickly felt at home. Um, you know, guys like Dr. Edgar and Dr. Oliphant were um, huge sort of inspirations for me, and and, and the theology too. I I felt so at home um, mm. with the, with the strength of Reformed theology and with the apologetic emphasis at Westminster. Um, sort of the fearlessness of encountering all of all of life um, with a confidence in, in in God's knowledge and providence and all encompassing mm. plan. Um, it's Amen. it's very easy to rest in that, and so Amen. I think. Um, I think that really helped me feel at home here. So, Yeah, okay. And the reason I ask that is because uh, you guys were doing ministry uh, you know, towards the end of your seminary experience, I imagine, and then um, did full-time ministry uh, after you graduated from seminary. Um, what led you into those positions, um, and, uh, including you, Nate, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what, how did the transition go from seminary into full-time ministry for you guys? RTS Charlotte, I'm sure this isn't unique to that campus, but they have a strong um, pastor-scholar model. And so suffused through all of the academia is a love and a heart for the local church. I served as an intern at a little quasi-rural ARP church and fell in love with serving in the local church and was drawn to pastoral ministry really from uh, the get-go. I tinkered with the idea of of campus ministry coming out of RUF, but... Hmm. um, as I mentioned, my mentor ended up planting uh, the church in Dallas, and he needed another guy, and uh, I was graduating, and it worked out well. 
and we have loved our three years. It was hard to see them go. Mm-hmm. Um, but that pastor-scholar model, not that I'm anywhere near being called a scholar, uh, drew me to Westminster. I mean, just mm-hmm. uh, it seemed like a seamless path from serving in the church to coming to get a more rigorous academic training at Westminster in hopes of going back and serving in the local church, yeah. trying to draw the arena of the church and the academy closer together, and hopefully in some kind of a leadership role slash pastoral role, be able to engage with some of the academics that comes down the pike and really tends to inf- inflict the church in a negative way. Would love to be able to critically engage with some of that stuff in service to the local church. Yeah, yeah. No, and great. both of you guys, Gabe and uh, Nate, have um, worked with youth ministry um, in, in a general sense. I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's really um, a lot of times where some of the philosophical problems come to head because when you're working at that age, you're dealing with just like the most basic questions, um, right? And, and that's not exclusive to that. I'm sure you, you get that a lot as well um, with some older people. But uh, can you talk a little bit about how you deal with that, um, taking these broad abstract concepts and um, communicating to them to you know a much younger audience yeah it's a great point jared um they the junior high and high school kids are the ones believe it or not who meet um the philosophical uh, uh, objections to the faith um face to face and if they don't now they will when they go to college yeah right um so inter ruf too yeah mm-hmm. right and and so i've i've tried to keep that in mind in my youth ministry because i um I see it as my responsibility to prepare these guys to be ready for what they're going to hit in college. Um, uh, you know, you talked about um, the academy, um, you know, um, sort of launching attacks on the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we need to reverse the trend, and we need to send out kids who know how to, um, who, you know, are, are able to anticipate what they're going to hear in their biology classes and their English classes, and who are not afraid of those things because they have, that firm and you know faithful foundation in in the scriptures in mm-hmm. the authority of the scriptures and in just theological basics um and i've done some some seminars we had a i invited some other churches and they brought their youth to our church one night and i just did a thing called what the bible is hmm. just just to tell you know because it's when they go to college when somebody's going to say you don't even know what that is you think you think those are god's words mm-hmm. but i thought you said paul wrote that and, it, you know, if they never, yeah. you know, like Jared said, mm-hmm. these are just basic, simple questions. And I think a place like Westminster is so great because you come out of it ready to handle these basic questions and, you know, that we sort of clear the ground. And how, how do we deal with these things? You know, how do we deal with these basic challenges and objections? And it's just crucial, crucial for youth ministry, mm-hmm. um, in my view. So. I remember hearing Bart Ehrman, who's who's lately taken it upon himself, try to deconstruct the authority of Scripture. Um yeah in a bad way, he mentioned that in his undergraduate courses that he teaches at UNC, he would ask his religion class, I mean, full of freshmen, uh, how many of you believe the Bible is the Word of God? And a good portion in North Carolina raised their hand, Mm -hmm. and he said, how many of you have actually read the Bible cover to cover? And only maybe 5% of the people who had originally raised their hand. And that just sets his stage for attacking their faith with a vengeance. Oh, wow. yeah. And so guys like you and Gabe preparing young people for the postmodern assault in college is just vital, I think, especially in our day and age. Yeah. Well, I think, too, um, what, what Nate said is just outstanding. That's, that's exactly right. That's the heart we need to have for young people. Um, when I was converted, 
it was largely because people answered questions for me that nobody else could answer, that a philosophy degree could not answer. Uh, and that's one of the ways the Lord brought me to my knees was through that. But the other thing that we want to focus on with these youth is that uh, we, we need to be confident and tell them, as one of the founding professors of Westminster, Robert Dick Wilson, said, never be afraid, men. God's world will never contradict God's word. Mm. And that should wow. be our banner. And yeah. we should be fearless in teaching them these things. But at the same time, what Nate said is so right on that I think many parents are missing it today. I was very blessed to minister in the context where parents never expected me to do the coax and jokes kind of youth ministry. Oh, amen, brother. <laughs> you yeah. know? And they, they said to me, basically, they were covenantal. They said, we're going to do the main teaching in the home. We just need you on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings during Sunday school to reinforce what we're doing as long as it's biblical. Wow. And they said, we want you to lay out a curriculum. And so, I mean, bless well, the Lord. I yeah. never once got asked for how many numbers were coming. I never once got asked, you know, how, why aren't our kids having fun and being entertained? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you what, I've gotten calls at 11 o'clock at night. I'll never forget one of them. A dear brother who's a, a college student, he called me and said, I'm really wrestling with the problem of evil. How do these two things oh. go together? 11 o'clock at night, brother. beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. And, and you know what, at that point? If I go, well, you know, I mean, I, you know, let me get back to you, man. But did you see the latest Dane Cook skit? You know what's going to happen to me? <laughs> yeah. That guy's going to go get the answer from somebody else. And he's going to stop coming to church. And he's going to yeah. stop coming yeah. to church. And That's so right. it's, our, it is, it's our job to be well-read, to be well-studied, not uh, only in secular philosophy and these kind of things. The Westminster Divine said that an ordained man should be well-versed in worldly philosophy. But at the same time, piggybacking off what you said, I wonder – not. Just how many college freshmen, how many of our ministers have read the Bible cover to cover? How many of us could really keep up with McShane's readings each year? And that is, the, the as Van Til said over and over, all he's trying to do is apply the scriptures to questions of philosophy. So right. we better know the scriptures, we better know what's coming at our kids, and we better be more well-read than maybe even somebody who's not ministering to you. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, sorry, did you have... Uh, and then wanted to transition then, uh, so... You're transitioning now to uh, PhD work. Um, what particularly did you guys want to tackle, um, and what's motivating you to put so much time and effort and move away from um, you know where you were planted? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a big sacrifice on on a lot of levels. Wait, time and effort? Uh, <laughs> Nobody told me about that. <laughs> uh, sorry, this is news. Um, but yeah, so what's what's the upside? Obviously, you guys are looking ahead at um, a few years of, of intense study. Um, what do you want to tackle, and then what do you hope to accomplish by tackling that? Well, I appreciate Nate. We've only been on campus for about two weeks, so uh, <laughs> we're looking forward to all that time and effort, I'm sure. Um, you know, first thing, I think... Y- it's just such a privilege to be able to grow in our understanding of who God is and the things of the Lord and the scriptures. I mean, I could put a period right there and say, uh, with this phase that the Lord has given me and my family, it's all worth it. Um, but beyond that, piggybacking on what I'd said before about the, the, the usefulness of, of ministers who can think critically about academic issues and how that so readily hits the person in the pew, maybe not in an overt or direct way, but in a way that is supremely helpful for the local church in terms of fighting off error, uh, thinking clearly about cultural issues, um, engaging well and reading the scriptures well. Uh, I think a Ph.D. program at a place like Westminster will equip me, I pray, uh, to do all of those things um, in a better way when I hopefully return uh, and pastor. 
Um, and that's, that's one of the main reasons that I'm here, one of the main reasons I'm so thankful to be here at a place like Westminster that uh, does those things rightly and well from a reformed, robustly reformed uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. And to get a little more specific, a uh, timely issue nowadays as it is in every generation, but doctrine of Scripture. Yeah. Uh, every generation, I was just talking to Dr. Gaffin, and he was mentioning how every generation must be vigilant. And I think we're um, members of a generation that uh, needs to hear that call yeah. um, because our forefathers in the faith uh, fought for uh, the authority and sufficiency and clarity of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I think the following generation sometimes takes those for granted, and those who follow after them end up squandering these things. And so I see the doctrine of Scripture slipping in the church context and, and in the academy, and I would love to study uh, how our doctrine of God impacts our doctrine of Scripture, specifically how a Vantilian ontology and metaphysic bears on uh, our understanding of inspiration. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That'll be uh, a nice project. It's, yeah, it's going to be big, yeah. I know. But, uh, you brought, you brought, you brought up drooling. a good topic with doctrine of Scripture and how we can see the connection between, uh, you know, the Ph.D. studies and uh, some of the, the deeper research that needs to be done and how it connects to people in the pew. How do your churches typically view uh, your Ph.D. studies? Uh, what was your experience in – did you get support to uh, come out here? I mean – uh, support in terms of people wanting you to go, wanting you to further your studies, or do they typically view it as something like, well, he's a brainy type, let's let him go get this out of his system <laughs> till he can get back to real work, you know? Well, I, you know, I can speak from my own experience in my home church. Um, you know, Dr. Logan Duncan is the son of the church that I was a pastor at, and, uh, you know, he went to Edinburgh for his PhD, so he prepared the way for the rest of us, I think, that came after that. Um, but our church was extraordinarily supportive. And one of the ways we ended up here, I want to say the same thing that uh, Carlton said, and that is I consider it a great honor mm-hmm. to be at Westminster Theological Seminary. This is one of the finest institutions in the world to study at. And I, I can say that, I think, with some degree of authority. Um, I'll never forget my pastor and mentor, uh, Richard Phillips, saying to me, um, and he has degrees from Wharton and taught at West Point, and he said every time I was on the campus of Westminster, I always felt like I was at a world-class institution. Mm. Wow. And, uh, you know, that means something. Um, and, and he's yeah. right. And, and, and he also said something else I think that was helpful. And when you think about Ph.D. studies, he said, what is going to increase your future usefulness to the Lord, Gabe? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. What is going to increase your future usefulness to the Lord? Is it Ph.D.? What's the next step? And I think that's the question we need to ask ourselves coming from a pastoral background. Now, everybody's going to be a pastor. And that's fine. God calls some people not to be to go right in to do academic work right, right. and bless people that way. But make sure let's 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 look at the history, especially of a place like Westminster. Uh, what was Machen doing before he died? Radio addresses <laughs> collected by the banner in that wonderful little book, God Transcendent. I commend the reading of that first sermon in there, his sermon on Isaiah forty. Amazing. And yet that guy was writing books like the origin of Paul's religion. Mm-hmm. You know, and we look at a yeah, guy like BB yeah. Warfield, Faith and Life, mm-hmm. from the same guy who wrote, you know. Histories of Calvin and Augustine and, mm-hmm. and these guys. And that's the model we want to serve. So even if we're not in the local church context pastoring, we should still have that in view because mm-hmm. guess what? As Bantel so wonderfully put it, the man who has the academic gifts may have more command of facts at his disposal. He may have a better use of logical syllogism, but in the question of ultimate things, he is not much different than the man on the street. Mm-hmm. And we all cool. need the same kind of ministry in that sense. And God has gifted certain people different ways, but uh, just to bring it all to a head, I think being here uh, is a privilege. I think it's something that God laid on our, our heart to, that would be make us more futurally useful to the Lord. And then 
do you want me to answer what we were gonna what what I'm sure yeah, what, yeah. go into that yeah, one of the things uh, it's a great topic I uh I, I don't want to get too mystical on you here but I was in my study right after I found out we were gonna come here and I was uh, reading Dr Lethem's excellent book on the Trinity and it was really laid on my heart that um I needed to do something with, uh, with Islam I don't know much about it I mean I know enough from about apologetic studies mm-hmm. and I've read a lot uh, some Islamic apologetics. Uh, Islamic apologists defending Islam, but I want to do uh, research on the doctrine of, uh, or rather, epistemology in Islam, wow. and uh, why a Unitarian theism really can't provide what you need to get the epistemological heavy lifting done. Um, so I'm excited to be at a place where you've got somebody like Lane Tipton, who's done work with the Trinity, mm-hmm. and what that does for us uh, in apologetics, and uh, Dr. Lethem, too, is an adjunct here. I think he, think he still is. And then, um, you know, just being in around a, a man like Dr. Oliphant, who's done such tremendous work in Van Tilly and studies for us. So, and, and so many other faculty members here. I mean, it, you're going to a place where you've got these men, and then they just bring on G.K. Beale. I mean, does it get any better? <laughs> yeah. So, that's the thing. Uh, that's one of the, re- again, that's one of the things we want to look into, and in I want to look into in my research here, uh, to be useful to the church and to be useful for our missionaries. Specifically, I'd like to take whatever... Uh, research I get done and distill it down into a full or Vantillian handbook we can put in our friends who are in missionaries who are going to the Middle East. Wow. You know, yeah. that's absolutely needed. We need a handbook on that. And I've long desired a, a handbook on philosophy, being this is philosophy for theologians, <laughs> that would have something sort of like uh, the, you know, uh, an encyclopedia on philosophy where you can uh-huh. look up and, and get information about a particular topic or a particular person, and you would know that you're getting a Vantillian critique. Right. I think that would be totally handy. I mean, it, it is so needed. I was at this uh, National Apologetics Conference um, last year in, like, November um, at Southern Evangelical Seminary, and they had all the big names there, you know, Colson, William Lane Craig, um, tons of big names. And I'd say 90% of um, the topics that were engaging there were Islam, um, how do you speak to uh, Jews? And then the faith science question. Um, and there wasn't anything wow. even resembling, you know, a Vantillian approach. I mean, they, people would come up to the quote-unquote Westminster table and say, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And this is a National Apologetics <laughs> Conference. I mean, come on, give me a break. Right. Oh, well, wow. um, I want, you know, it's interesting. I had the privilege of discipling a man at our church back in Greenville who also happened to be uh, my martial arts instructor. And he, uh, <laughs> you want to disciple that too. Oh, it's Vantillian apologetics. is like martial arts. I said he was the presuppositional martial artist because the style he taught was to be adapted to every situation. <laughs> nice. But he, um, the first morning he came to a men's Bible study, he was very much interested in philosophy. He was a very bright guy. And he said he'd been reading Norm Geisler. And saw mm. in a footnote, in all the study, he'd read everything by Norm Geisler, a footnote about this guy named Van Til. Right. Van Til was Presbyterian. And one of our deacons had started going there. So he said, I want to come to this Presbyterian Bible study. And so he asked me, now this brother, uh, two years later, we, we met and discussed. I mean, if people think that philosophy for theologians is not needed. Here's a guy who's a martial arts instructor, all right, and he's mm-hmm. reading Van Til. He's reading through all of Van Til's stuff. He's reading philosophy like crazy. I mean, you name it, the guy's reading it. And then worshiping the Lord and studying his Bible and putting it all together going, wow, only Reformed theology makes for a coherent worldview. Yeah. And this is pretty exciting to him, and he's taking that out. And I've watched him, y'all, share the gospel. I mean, you know, he's just finished punching you all over the place, and then he says, sit down, and you're going to listen to him. <laughs> so, uh, but the, that platform that, that people have these concerns, have these questions, that's why we need to be doing these things in PhD studies. And one more thing I'm noticing here on the, uh, um, the chat room. Yeah, the chat room. The royal we, indeed, Jonathan Brack, <laughs> is what I'm employing because this was a family effort, and I want to praise my dear wife 
who did not bat an eye when I told her we're moving from our beloved homeland in the south up to Philadelphia, this place we're not real sure about. <laughs> now, now, some of our listeners will be interested. I'll, I'll clue you guys into a little bit of a private matter, but the, one of our regulars on PFT, in fact, was scheduled to be on tonight but turned up sick, was Bob LaRocca, our good buddy. And we had a fun discussion a couple, uh, maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, and uh, Bob is, can be a little abrupt <laughs> in his discussion. And, uh, and uh, uh, Carlton thought that that was the representative of everything out here. <laughs> he said, he turned to me and said, oh, I need to get used to the North. And I said, you just need to get used to Bob LaRock. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And can I tell you, Camden, yeah. our neighborhood that we're living in is unbelievably friendly. So yeah. if Bob wants to come and live in my neighborhood. Bob's a nice guy. It's just spice it up a little bit. People yeah. on the show people on the show know what we're talking about. Uh, yeah. He's fun. That's what, yeah. He gives us the listeners. That's why we keep having him back. Yeah. He's great. Right. Entertaining. <laughs> well, we have our token RB. I also want to, well, do you want to explain a little bit of, I mean, same question to you. Um, we've heard a little bit about uh, Carlton and Gabe's um, process. What about what about you in terms of what you're studying and, and okay. uh, why you're studying it and what impact that has just on kind of either your current ministry or maybe your ministry goals? Well, I, uh, I'm studying I'm studying Walter Storff and I'm, I'm working on his um, uh, theory of rationality and I'm most interested in the relationship of, ra- of rationality to Christian belief. Um, uh, and I feel like I went right to the heart of the matter. This is what interests me the most um, on a philosophical level, the questions of epistemology um, and what it means to be a Christian in the public and to defend hmm. publicly uh, your your faith and your belief in, in Scripture. And How do you tie, how does Walter Storff uh, tie into that for people who might not be familiar with him? And uh, it's very pertinent, but how do you see studying Walter Storff in particular help uh, you to advance God's kingdom and uh, to edify God's people? Uh, Walter Storff, um, Walter Storff is a part of the Reformed epistemology work. Um, you know, he worked uh, uh, with planning on that project, and they were they were um, hugely important in answering um, foundationalism as sort of the um, yeah the regnant theory of rationality um, to borrow Walter Storff's phrase. So Walter Storff put it this way. Why, why is it that, uh, Christians and religious people generally, uh, notice, um, are told that they cannot reason from their religious beliefs, mm. but have to reason to them, mm-hmm. uh, from other beliefs. So he asked that and he, and he also was curious about, uh, why rationality is always comes hand in hand with, deontology with obligation so why is it that what is rational to believe um, what you can supply reasons for why is that why is that the thing which you ought to believe um and i found reading that uh, sort of uh, tripped me up a little bit because i think we make the connection so naturally if you have reasons for that belief then you should believe it if you don't have reasons for that belief you shouldn't believe it right mm-hmm. Th- this is um this is street rationality today and walter storff i, I think insightfully noticed how weird that connection is um the connection between deontology and and and, uh and rationality and he 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 embarked on a detailed study of the history of philosophy and found both of those things um foundationalism on the popular level not like descartes having to do with only scientific knowledge but on the popular level on a public level and the deontological um implications of rationality found both of those things in john locke and so he wrote a great study on Locke and and um, 
and depended on Reed and his answer to Locke. Um, and uh, you know, you can get you can get his his response to to foundationalism in a number of places. Um, but um, you know, the Reformed epistemology basically points out things things like you 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 can't even believe in your, you know your own existence, right? And things like that. And yeah, and and that's so important. It's so helpful, basically on. Um, um, on an apologetic level, and as far as you know, even doing youth ministry, because these are the kinds of th- this, uh, um, you know, foundationalism as the regnant uh, rationality. This is everywhere, and kids are told all the time that you can't believe things you don't have reasons for. What's your reason for believing that? And and I mean, this mm-hmm. is just um, this, is, this is sort of the con- the the air we we breathe. Um, so it's just important on that on that level. Um, just Not like a, a worship first. song. This What's, is the air I breathe. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody, sing it. I don't remember. Uh, I don't know that song at all. Yeah. Before it came, uh, we'll yeah, clip, we'll clip that. I'll either clip that or insert the song. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, or, okay, do, yeah. or do none of the above. Yeah, but I think, I think that's totally relevant. I mean, I remember particular conversations in high school, especially with this one individual who. Um, it was, you know, whenever you would talk about God or Christianity or anything, just assumes burden of proof is on you. Um, prove to me that God exists right, right. now. Show me God in this mm-hmm. room. Um, and so many assumptions go into that, um, but you know that's where the conversation starts most of the time. Is you assume kind of regular order, and now show me God in this room. Uh, well, he didn't do anything, so I don't I don't believe in God. You know, and <laughs> right. it, yeah. that's that's often where it goes. And then you know a classic example of what you mentioned earlier is you know planning as God in other minds um, as a kind of attack against the classic foundationalism that you were describing. Mm. Um, if you can't show me that um, that other person has another mind and not, you know, a, a carefully constructed robot, and you can't show me beyond a reasonable doubt like we give the same standards for other beliefs, um, then maybe we should not have those very high standards of beliefs for everything. Right. Um, anyway, sorry right. to go off on a tangent, but... No, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Uh, you know, the assumption that you should have empirical evidence for everything you believe or self, self-evidential propositions founding the rest of your knowledge is... Um, it's so it's so enticing and it's so appealing and, and Walter sort of touches on this, which I found I found um, I found very interesting. And he said that the the, the idea that we can have um, direct awareness of some things is basically so seductive mm. that it, that it's intimidating. Mm. You know, uh, well, I think you know it's just reading Van Til's survey of Christian epistemology, how he responds to the assumptions of something like that. And, you know, he said we remind our opponents they have begged the whole question from the outset. Right. Yeah. And, but it is so seductive today, and particularly just to kind of say that back to, again, to youth. Why should we care about God and other minds? Why, I mean, why should a youth guy be reading this kind of philosophy stuff? Because every last one of, an unconverted, of unconverted teenagers that I've met are empiricist, rationalist, <laughs> strange mix of the two mm-hmm. who, who are dabble in philosophy and – these kind of things are getting asked all the time, and if we kind of go, well, I don't know, dude, but Dane Cook's cool. I mean, you know, yeah. you're going to end up in a, a bad place. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Dane Cook. It all comes back to Dane Cook. Yeah, it all comes back to. Dane <laughs> but I think that that's an interesting observation because at a certain, you know, you talk to people at a certain age, middle school, high school, and you almost get kind of like an unfiltered philosophy at that point. And so when they, when almost to a man and a woman, it goes to empiricism and pragmatism. That says exactly what our culture is made of. It's a pragmatic, it's an empiricist culture that has those standards of epistemology, and that's what you're facing going into a discussion yeah. on that level. Yeah, and they'll say, well, you know, prove to me God like your friend did in high school, yeah. and he didn't do anything in this room. Well, that's where, again, how, help, how helpful is having 
something like the training you get here at Westminster, um, to, to be able to ask the right questions. And so, you know, one of the things I, I would tell our students back home was uh, my little girl's name is Garner. And I said, you need to do apologetics like my little girl Garner does to me every night. Why, Daddy? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? Why? That's, you know, it's the three-year-old yeah, cool. method, and it's, it's simply yeah. wonderful. Yeah, so just keep asking why, and you'll get down and yeah. drill down to the bottom of the uh, And the what issue. do you say at the end of that train? Because I said <laughs> because so. Because right? the authority of her father. <laughs> Daddy, what are the conditions that enable you to even make that assertion? <laughs> that's, I'm sure Remember that's when she said my that. way. <laughs> Transcendental argument. I've got, I've got one, one comment related. I don't want to pull it always back to the doctrine of Scripture, but speaking of these deeper philosophical issues and how pra- practical they are, B.B. Uh, Warfield wrote with uh, with Hodge on inspiration, the classic defense even still from the late 19th century. And he said that the only dangerous attack on the church's doctrine of inspiration comes either directly or indirectly, but always ultimately from a false view of God's relationship with man. Mm-hmm. And he pushed some, a, a doctrine like inspiration, mm. which is so practical, he traced all the way back singly to false views of God's relationship with the world, just yeah. to show you how fundamental these philosophical and epistemological issues really are yeah. for how you uh, maybe even subconsciously work out your understanding of who God is or a college student's wondering why they believe the Bible. Uh-huh. Already in there uh, are philosophical assumptions that we need to challenge and by God's grace, have the Spirit overturn and establish the right ones according to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important for us to remember, too, that when we're defending these great things like the doctrine of Scripture, notice how it affected those men's lives, like Warfield, like Voss. Read, read Voss on this, too, or Warfield, or any of these great men, and you'll see that they themselves lived on the authority of that word. And how easy it would be for us to just be able to wonderfully and stoutly defend it without it doing its own good work in our own hearts. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I think that's the other thing that marked these scholars out was their own deep personal walk with the Lord. They've been affected by the Word. It seemed unbelievable to Warfield that you wouldn't believe the Bible wasn't inspired by God. Why? Because he, te- he, t- he had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. Uh, and so many times I think with the inerrancy discussion, we've also got to remember, look, the Holy Spirit has to open somebody's eyes to see the truth of inerrancy. And that is a sovereign work of God. doesn't mean we don't argue for it. We do argue for it. The Holy Spirit uses means. But uh, it, it also should be reminding to us that this better be something that grips our own hearts, whoever you are. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the difference between philosophy for theologians and philosophy in general. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I mm. um, also wanted to touch on um, just briefly kind of the, the form that your Ph.D. studies take. Uh, we get uh, – Jonathan Brack and I uh, constantly get the question, um, do you have a distance learning Ph.D. program? Um, which I find uh, very, very interesting. But um, you guys, uh, Gabe and Carlton, are going to be studying on campus of Westminster, taking courses. Um, Nate, your your experience in PhD studies is a li- little different. Um, maybe can, can you describe what that has been like, um, studying at Free University of Amsterdam, um, how you do it at a distance, um, and, and what courses at are like distance. you have? <laughs> no. um, that's all... I think I just got in trouble. Um, yeah, I am a I'm an external student at the Free University of Amsterdam, um, and how that works is uh, they do have a uh, they do have a program for that, but not all of their professors I think are under the obligation to ex- accept external students. So it sort of depends on 
um, who you connect with. Um, but basically, uh, I have the option of going to Amsterdam once a year for they have sort of a mini conference for the external students, and we can go and share our work with uh, the other externals. There's one part of it's in Dutch, one part of it's in English. Um, I work completely in English, by the way. There's no requirement to work in Dutch. I believe at the at the Free University, you can write dissertation in French, German, English, or Dutch. Um, so I've chosen English. No. <laughs> good, good choice. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, so basically, um, I have I have two readers or promoters, I think they call them, and um, they help to guide my reading. And I um, well, at first I had to submit a proposal, which they took before the the whole theology department. I have a reader in the theology and one in the philosophy department, and um, my first reader took my proposal before the theology department, came back with some suggestions. I had to work those in, and then it was approved, and then uh, you know off we went. And basically, I'm on constant email interaction with my advisor. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I submit things once I have them written, and, and then we go from there. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's that's going to be a little different from um, the other guys that we're talking to here, just because you're doing really philosophy proper, right? Uh, yeah. At least yeah. for yeah, at least for a good half of my dissertation will be pretty straight yeah. philosophy. Yeah. And uh, Carlton, you're doing systematic theology. Gabe, you're doing apologetics. And so um, I think my general point is uh, that's something that, you know, in my mind should be, have some kind of professor interaction, uh, personal interaction, and is less inclined to be something that you can simulate um, from far away, at least initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are pros and cons to both models. I was looking at a, a couple schools overseas and the particular mm-hmm. model of the UK system with really yeah. no classwork. You really dive in from what I understand and write a bigger dissertation. Right. So they expect more of you on the front end. Yeah. As uh, as we thought of a, a whole host of factors, I figured that the, the classroom structure for at least two years or so uh, would be good. And Nate would know more about this than I do, but uh, the PhD program anywhere requires you to be somewhat of a self-starter. Yeah, that's I'm gonna right. I'm going to be spending plenty of time in a study carol in the bowels of the library in the coming years. And I need guys like Gabe and you and Camden and Nate to, to help spur, spur me along and to engage critically and to bounce ideas off of. So I think being on campus, classroom atmosphere, campus atmosphere where professors' offices are just a step away. They're never uh, there. You can't find them. No, I'm just kidding. They're- can be tremendously helpful. I mean, I'm planning on writing Gabe's passion wave to dissertation glory. By the time I'm <laughs> so, if we can put uh, that in the show notes, that, that quote, that'd be squirrel. great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and to, to supplement that, I think, you know, part of what uh, Camden's original thought was for Reform Forum is um, trying to capture some of the conversations that happen on a campus and uh, let others listen to it. Um, yeah, it's actually the source of some of our critical problems with with the listeners i wouldn't say problems but a source of misunderstanding uh between what we do and um you know what what other people expect of us but the the original design of the entire network was to provide a window into con- into theological conversation i came from illinois i came from a particular area that didn't have a reformed influence yeah. and i i had i was going to a calvinistic baptist church and uh, there was no OP. Um, it just wasn't an, a, a real viable option for me in that particular city. And um, I happened to be introduced to Van Til and some other Reformed theology there. But I didn't have anybody to talk to except some Calvinistic Baptists who were great brothers, and I love them. Um, they very helpful to me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have opportunities for this sort of thing. And then once I moved to Westminster, uh, moved to Philadelphia, I have these conversations all the time, and I thought, 
how nice would it be to be able to allow other people to listen into and participate as much as they can uh, through this new technology that we started to see five years ago or so. And so that's really what we're doing with the network. What we're attempting yeah. to do is provide a window into a conversation that is primarily our, our purpose. And yeah. so that can sometimes be misunderstood or misinterpreted when people compare or contrast what we do with what a church ministry might be, those right. sorts of things, uh, or, you know, or our organization <laughs> or the, our topics or, or, uh, you know, the types of things we decide to, to speak about. Yeah. It's first and foremost a conversation that we let people into. Yeah. Um, and recognizing yeah. that that's such a vital uh, supplement to just theological conversation in, in general um, yeah, and education. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a different type of learning that you can't simulate just when you're in no, your study. You're um, exactly reading right. Turretin. Well, I tell you, and, you know, the thing I, I hope Jared has not saved any of the the wretched unbelief in these emails that I sent him when this conversation about me coming up here started back in <laughs> last November because I'm embarrassed uh, at my lack of faith in what God would do to bring us up here. And it's been nothing short of amazing mm. to watch God do that. So for people who say, well, I can't do it, I can't do it, that, that, I said all that. And I hit my knees, and God used friends. He used people in ways that I can't even have possibly imagined to bring me sitting here on this couch this evening. Mm. And it is a blessing to watch God do that. And Providing, uh, you know, Jared introduced uh, Carlton and I, and that blessing of gospel, truly gospel good friendship is so important in these days. And I love what Truman wrote recently about, you know, what can you do? How do you become a better uh, theologian from Luther? Well, drink beer with your buddies. And I want to have my heart, hearty amen to that. You're here. And, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to cheapen your, your heartfelt comments. I think they're, they're you know, well-received and uh, chastening in many ways. But, you know... It's great to see you and Carlton now riding the passion wave on a love seat together. <laughs> Man, just call this my surfboard right here. <laughs> this is amazing. Right the theological wave. surfboard. Yeah. Nice. So where do we go from here? I mean, as PhD students, Jared and I are aspiring PhD students. What uh, what do we do in terms of, well, okay, maybe. <laughs> yeah, possibly at some point. Possibly we'll at some yeah. point. Hey, everyone should get a PhD. Yeah, no, I, I, I do at some point. We'll see how that shakes out. You know what I mean. But um. Yeah. I guess we've gotten a, a decent handle on how we should understand PhD studies, how it relates to the church, how it can actually be a service to the church. Um, how do we prepare ourselves or how do we discipline ourselves uh, and how do we keep ourselves sharp? I mean, outside of the conversations we already have, yeah. Uh, what are what are some things I'm just, that we can brainstorm up and, and remind ourselves of so we can be better students to God's glory? I would say first and foremost, anybody considering a Ph.D. should think and assume from the outset they are not called to do that. Mm. Uh, and they should seek other people, particularly pastors but scholars, who will say, you do or do not have the gifts. We don't want this to be a postgraduate babysitter, especially <laughs> yeah, if we're doing so theology true. studies. So know, because this, this is important stuff. We're not just playing around. Oh, no. I was going to say word of life. something very well, similar. Guys, it's not an easy undertaking. No, and you no. mentioned before, Gabe, it's... it's it's trying on the family, and if yes. you want proof, you can go in the oversized section of the library, and almost every major work there will include somewhere in there, I owe it all to my wife, yeah. and things like yeah. that, <laughs> um, yeah. because it's a serious, serious undertaking, and everyone... Yeah. Everyone has to, has to sort of contribute, you know. And, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, we're coming up on, you know, that first time where a bunch of freshmen or, you know, first-year seminary students will come in, and mm -hmm. typically, or at least they used to when I came in, they put everyone down in the auditorium and they ask everyone, you know, where do you come from, what, do you, what degree are you doing, what would you like to do when you get out of seminary? And you, you typically find like 70% or so of the students, the, the men at least, will say, 
well, I w- I'm here to do my MAR or my MDiv, and I'm going to do a PhD, and then I would like to be a professor at a seminary. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> so true. And then, you, yeah. and then in the second <laughs> semester, you ask the same people the same question in one of the uh, like the intro to preaching classes or something, and they say, well, I'm going to go into pastoral ministry. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's they not say, at all to put it down. From the it's MDiv actually to, yeah, much, in many different ways much more challenging on your on your on your being to be mm-hmm. a pastor and there's much more of a burden mm-hmm. there and it's a much higher calling. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, yeah. it just goes to show uh, the challenges that come with seminary studies and the mm-hmm. rigor at a place like Westminster. Other places yeah. are rigorous too, but it's not for everyone. Yeah. And exactly. it also goes to show just exposure and how, you know, what leads people to seminary. I mean, a lot of the people who come to seminary in general, Westminster, the other seminaries, um, read a certain person and just get so fired up and say, I want to be that person for God's glory that I can inspire others to right. believe something similar, you know? And so I'm sure seminary starts out with, um, you know, I want to carry the legacy of someone who really inspired me. And, um, and it's not wrong to, to have those aspirations yeah. and, and to come into seminary uh, wanting to go further and to do those studies and work hard and work toward that yeah. and, and test yourself. It, in many ways for me, the, the several years uh, in which I was working at Caterpillar before moving out here, I wanted to come to seminary. But I kept reading and studying and praying and talking to other people saying, Are you, do you think I'm called to go to seminary mm. over and over? Test yourself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you find yourself at a seminary and your studies are going well, you're doing well, you're still interested, and you have the, the drive uh, and your professors are encouraging you, go on to further studies. Sure. Uh, you know, it, the church needs bright people, people that have the ability to go on and to work and to, to study these things. One helpful ingredient uh came to me just yesterday i was i was talking with carl truman and he he said that um when he when he when he uh received his degree he was without work for about i don't think he'd mind my saying this over a year yeah oh, sure his other you know classmates found employment and he was you know living at home difficult times he said it was one of the most difficult phases of his life, but looking back, watched a lot of baseball. He, <laughs> yeah, Welsh and, baseball, and American football. Yeah, um, he looking back. He I mean, told he's me, one of the you know brightest people I know, was well respected in the academic world abroad, and yeah, yeah. That, but, but but looking no back, job. He yeah. said that it's it was a phase of life that the Lord really used to bring him to his knees and understanding that. Um, the Lord can can get along just fine without people with PhDs. <laughs> yeah, that's know? right. And the church will be built uh, right. regardless of whether any of us are actively serving in any pulpit across the country. Uh, and I think that's a good ingredient to keep in mind as you're considering uh, going for a PhD that that when you're teaching Sunday school to a sixth grader who really could care less about what letters are behind your name, uh, what you need is humility before a holy God. And, and I think that's a good starting point for people considering uh, further study. It's something that I honestly have had to wrestle through as I um, look up to men in, in the academic world. Um, and But going along with all that you said, Camden, about the Lord's providence and testing yourself sure. and having the opportunity, it's not for everybody, but uh, for those who, who have the window and believe that the Lord really is drawing in that direction, it can be a fantastic uh, phase of life and, and have future benefits for for the mm-hmm. rest of our years in ministry yeah and one other thing um for somebody considering phd work uh make sure that you have regular daily if possible times in god's word and prayer before him i i just i don't know how uh we can get through ministry or life as christians as ordained men as phd students without regularly reading through the bible 
Uh, there's so many plans available. There's so many resources. I've just been so blessed by the ESV Study Bible online, where you can yeah. type your own notes in. You can cross-reference verses so fast. I mean, there's no excuse for us not to be in that in the Word. And if, if we're students who are not students, first and foremost, of God's Word and under that authority, we will fail in our pursuits. Mm. And it will not matter what letters are after our name. No, um, and then I, I remember the words of Dr. Boyce that um, uh, Pastor Phillips told me before I left. He said, just remember, he said, Dr. Boyce always used to say, the academic lectern will always hide sins that the pulpit cannot. Hmm. Whoa. And that's something we need to remember as well. You know, that, that there's, there, let's make sure we're not seeking after a vain thing just to be a seminary professor. And bless God for faithful seminary professors, hmm. especially when you know, you're here at Westminster and you see so many of them. But for those of us who are called back into pastoral ministry, it is a long and bloody road. Let's be prepared and praise the Lord for places like this to prepare us to better serve our Lord Jesus while we have this short, you know, three score and ten years as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, this has been a fun discussion, uh, a little bit different than we were typically used to, but I think useful nonetheless. Yeah. And uh, if people have more questions or comments, please send them in to mail at reformedforum.org or on Twitter at, at reformedforum. Uh, you can find Westminster Online at youtube.com slash Westminster Online and facebook.com slash Westminster Online. Uh, Reformed Forum, of course, now is always uh, available at reformedforum.org, but we have a new website, as I mentioned on other programs and previously on this one, reformedforum.tv. And there we hope to have video broadcasts of all of our programs as we're able, as we get these kinks worked out. So watch us live on, on uh, reformedforum.tv. And uh, stay tuned and stay abreast of what we're doing. If you'd like to get a hold of us, email us at mail at reformforum.org. And, of course, we'd always appreciate your support. Uh, to do so, please visit us at reformforum.org at the top of the page. We have the Donate Now button. We can use it. We are in need. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Philosophy for Theologians. We hope you join us again next time.